Hey everyone, Dingo here, and welcome to the Saffron Academy podcast. The objective of this podcast is to be an additional educational resource for our viewers. Saffron Finance does not endorse the viewpoints shared in these conversations, nor should this be construed as any kind of financial advice. But we are interested in giving exposure to a wide range of brilliant investors, developers, entrepreneurs, traders, and so much more. If you have an idea for a topic or a particular guest request, feel free to write into the show at dingo at saffron.finance. Hey guys, in this episode, I sit down with Solana Labs CEO and founder Anatoly Yakovenko. Anatoly and I talk in depth about all things Solana, why it's catching on, proof of history, the inflection point of mass crypto adoption, censorship resistance, NFTs, a little bit of Ultima Online for some reason, <laughs> which will make sense later on, and so much more. I hope you guys enjoy this. I had so much fun talking with Anatoly, and I think you guys are going to get a ton of value out of this. So enjoy. Hey guys, Dingo here with another episode of the Saffron Academy podcast. Today I'm joined by Anatoly Yakovenko, founder and CEO of Solana Labs. Solana is the world's first web-scale blockchain and has been making waves in the industry, raising over $20 million in a Series A round led by Multicoin Capital. In terms of block count, it's already surpassed Ethereum and has proven itself to be one of the lowest cost chains in the entire cryptocurrency ecosystem. So Anatoly, thank you so much for joining us today. Awesome to be here. Yeah, so I noticed when uh, we started tweeting a little bit uh, that we were announcing that we were going to have you on, you guys have an emoji next to your hashtag now on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Suffice to say, like, that's pretty big league, right? Like, congratulations. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I mean, like, it, it's not like, uh, you know, they, they will just give you one if you talk to them, you know, like you got to like uh, kind of get a deal with Twitter, but it's not a, you know, I guess the big league is that it's we want to do that kind of thing at this point. Like the network is is at a level that we feel like it can get general awareness out there. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I've noticed just like in terms of talking about uh, Ethereum competitors and just different sort of projects that are, I would say, similar to Solana, but Solana is kind of in a class of its own, in my opinion. Um, I've noticed that it's kind of flown under the radar a little bit. I was wondering, you know, if in your own words, can you explain Solana in a brief sort of nutshell to our viewers? Like, obviously, we can get into the more technical aspects of like proof of history, which is absolutely fascinating. But I guess, how did you initially pitch Solana? Um, the, at the seed level deck, the first slide said that Solana is blockchain at NASDAQ speed. <sighs> so that, that was really like the pitch. And uh, that should hopefully give your listeners an idea of what we're trying to accomplish. That's awesome. So for the benefit of our listeners, can you explain a little bit about the token itself? What function and what purpose does it serve? It just prevents spam. Kind of, kind of a simple, simple thing, right? But if you dig into it, what does it prevent spam on? It's a general purpose information system that is guaranteeing censorship resistance that everybody in the world can send messages and guarantee that they're received by everyone, but all the intended uh, recipients without failure. So it's a very, very simple thing, right? But if you do it at a global scale, then spam becomes an interesting problem. And like, what is this, what is information good at, right? It's propagating prices, financial information, all this other stuff. 
So it becomes very much a financial thing. Yeah, you and your team have definitely had quite the resume. Um, how did your guys' experience from working at companies like Qualcomm and Dropbox, how did that end up translating or helping your vision on getting Solana off the ground? Um, I guess we internally we knew that uh, building a new operating system or a database is like a 10-year thing. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is why still like uh, we prefer to call it in beta, like it's like Gmail beta. Um, you know, that team at Google knew that getting email to scale to 2 billion people is no small feat. Um, so that from that perspective, um, it's a tough problem, but a fun one because it is a new kind of information system. Right now, the way that all these systems work on the Internet is that there is no guarantee that when I send a message to anybody that it arrives and you build all these databases and also the info around it um, to make that possible, right? To, to, to provide those guarantees. But when you do so, you restrict the users that can do it. And it's very like obvious in finance, you know, NASDAQ guarantees that exchanges run um, and they're able to do that with extremely well. But for me to access that exchange, I got to pay NASDAQ, you know, millions of dollars, right? To, to just put my system in the same building as them. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> so so that that's kind of like creates, you know, these monopolies, information asymmetry. Somebody's always ahead of you a little bit and they take advantage of it, you know, and everybody in finance earns a few percentage points here and there just to pass information between, you know, from one, one desk to another. Um, and... The opportunity with these systems, like if you're building a truly censorship resistant information system is to eliminate all those middlemen, you now all of a sudden have, you know, 7 billion people that are super connected to all other 7 billion people, but nobody in between them. For the benefit of our listeners, was there like a, a light bulb moment that made you or maybe the team say that, you know, hey, we want to prioritize this project as being censorship resistant? Well, to, to caveat a bit, there's like censorship means different things, right? In the political context, it means one thing. In a store of value in Bitcoin, it means a different thing. In a network like Solana, it really means like I'm sending one bit. And I want to guarantee that no single party can stop that, that bit from propagating around the world. And I want to make it as hard as possible for any group of parties that are working together to prevent that information from propagating um, to be able to do so. so. So it's not the same kind of censorship as when we talk about like Twitter banning somebody, right, or, or, or things like that. And mm -hmm. it's... But it's all related. You know, if you have this super connected world, then you don't have a centralized party like Twitter that's in charge of, um, you know, creating news feeds for everyone. Right. Yeah, that's a really salient point. Kind of going forward with this and something that really kind of caught my attention when I was first doing kind of a deep dive into Solana is that, you know, unlike uh, the typical proof of work and proof of stake, you guys use something called proof of history. Is that something that you can elaborate on a little bit for our viewers? Yeah, so proof of work is uh, is proof that I spent some electricity somewhere to do something. 
it's it's a bit of data that when you when I send it to you, you can look at that piece of data and you can estimate that to generate this piece of data, I had to, you know, spend 20 kilowatt hours or something like that of energy, right? Like X amount of joules of energy uh, went into generating that data structure. Um, so in terms of blockchain, why that's important is that it allows you to measure somebody's weight in a vote. It's kind of a way for you to know that the person on the internet you're talking to is really a person instead of a bot or, you know, like some farm somewhere that's chatting with 10 million people. Um, you know. <laughs> so how, how do you prove, how do you prove like Sybil, right? This, this like Sybil problem. How do I, how do I prove that when I'm talking to on the other side um, is anything real, right? It's not duplicating, right. duplicated accounts. Um, so proof of work is a way to do that is to generate the, that bit of proof because it costs something to do it. Right. It, it like forces somebody to go somewhere and pay it. Um, so proof of stake is an attempt to solve that problem as well. But it's um, it's not a it's not in itself a consensus mechanism. Right. It, it's just that bit. Like, how do I prove that somebody exists? Um, proof of history has nothing to do with that problem. The problem of civil resistance. Um, there's another challenge in, in blockchains, and that's just like kind of an informational problem. And that challenge is very similar to cellular networks, radio networks. And this is why, where my experience at Qualcomm kind of um, really helped me a lot understanding how these systems can be designed to be as fast as NASDAQ. So if you remember your high school physics course, um, radio waves interfere, right? So if, you, if two towers transmit at the same time or the same frequency, you get noise because of that interference. So information can't pass through. Um, so the first thing that's anyone ever tried in, in radio was why don't we give each tower a clock that's synchronized and they alternate by second or a minute, depending how well you can synchronize those clocks, right? So if they're perfectly synchronized, then you could potentially alternate every millisecond, you know, or every nanosecond as fast as like those circuits can go. But obviously nothing's ever perfectly synchronized. You get errors, right? And the more towers you add, the harder it is to, to keep these systems going. And this is why there's 30,000 engineers at Qualcomm. <laughs> <laughs> so so that it's a hard problem. Um, in blockchains, in, in proof of work, um, the way proof of work is designed is that when I solve this proof of work puzzle and I prove that I have all this electricity, I get to produce a block. But if if it's too easy to solve this puzzle, right, if, if I can do it in two seconds, and everybody in the world is trying to do it, then it's very likely that two of us will produce a block at the same time. And if that happens, nobody knows what the le what the actual ledger is because now you have multiple options for what the what the state of the chain should be. So you can think of that as a noisy state, just like when those two towers transmit information at the same time over the same frequency. So when I thought of proof of history, you know, as the legend goes, um, I had two coffees and a beer. I was up till four in the morning and I had this eureka <laughs> moment <laughs> that you could use a technique similar to proof of work, but to generate a data structure that only measures time. So it's very energy efficient, basically costs nothing in terms of electricity, but there's no way to make it go faster besides 
going to TSMC, spending $40 billion to improve the fabrication process from like seven nanometers to three nanometers. And then you get, you know, 50% improvement that way. And because that is so hard to do, right, you kind of can get a sense from this piece of data that now I can send to you that the amount of time that you spent generating this, maybe it was two minutes, maybe a minute, but it was real time, right? You couldn't have done it in zero time. Um, and that was good enough for uh, for that for us to build this very kind of bad form of time measurement uh, because it doesn't track days, it doesn't track seconds very well, mm-hmm. but it can force all the block producers in the network to wait their turn to produce a block and reduce the number of simultaneous block producers and therefore reduce the number of noise, right? Forking that's happened that happens in the network. Um, and if we can do that, that means that we can start optimizing these things like, you know, the 30,000 engineers at Qualcomm optimize, um, you know, cellular networks. So that, that was kind of it. Uh, and, and in fact, so I was at Dropbox at the time Yeah. when I had that Eureka, like high level idea. Oh, there's a way to keep track of time. Why don't, why don't we use this in blockchain now? Um, quit my job. And I reached out to a bunch of folks that I used to work with at Qualcomm, like, Folks that worked on the LTE standard, you know, like senior directors of technology that still code that were like really core drivers of, of like building operating systems and things like that. And they got it immediately and they were like, okay, I'm joining. <laughs> Let's go do this. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, uh, but for whatever reason, like uh, the rest of crypto is very hard to convince that this is uh, the right way to do this. Um, so th- we don't even have a, I think, any other chain that's actually trying to take this approach. Yeah. I noticed you guys are pretty much, um, let's say trendsetters in this regard. Yep. I guess. So what is like some of the biggest challenges of trying to propose a new way of going about solving this you know, issue um, in the crypto sphere, which, you know, let's be honest, consists of a lot of guys that are really interested in the tech. A lot of guys are in it to make a quick buck. A lot of guys are just like DJ and trading. Like, what has been your guys' strategy on trying to get the word out about Solana? So, the consensus piece is really um, it almost becomes marketing, right? At that point, like because users don't actually interact with it, they never um, feel like you know it, it, they as a user, you normally don't deal with any of the stuff, right? Like you sign transactions and you interact with the application or you send somebody uh, Bitcoin or something like that. And under the hood, all this stuff works or, um, or doesn't work. <laughs> um, so that, that's <laughs> really, know. yeah, that, that's really the only thing. And um, convincing, it, it was more of a, of a question of how do we convince projects that are building user-facing applications that this technology is something they can trust. Um, and that that's really where the challenge came in because the protocol itself, you can think of it as a database, as an operating system, um, but it's a, a shared computer, right? Like the shared computer has no value if nobody's using it. Like if we made it a closed system where Solana Labs ran the whole thing, it would have no value. That That's kind of the interesting part here is that the applications and the and the the teams that are trying to go get users and build something useful, they're the ones that are creating all the value in the in the network. 
And we were just trying to get all of them together, all working in the same state machine um, in, in that same bit of shared information, right? That, that's kind of the, the strange thing here. So convincing folks that this is uh, the place to do that just took us actually building it. And um, we had this demo that we built when we launched. This was, feels like a decade ago, but this was maybe like a little over a year ago, maybe a year and three months ago. March last year, right? Not 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 that long ago. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, it was we launched three days after Double Black Thursday, so right into the abyss. But we built oh this demo God. called Break Break. If you go to break.solana.com, you basically smash your keyboard, and for every keystroke, it sends a transaction, and you can see it finalize. And it was ridiculously cheap and no one has demonstrated that a new blockchain or any blockchain that's globally distributed can do anything remotely close to that. Um, and that's really what I think kickstarted the whole thing. Uh, we talked to the folks from FTX when they realized that this is possible, they incub basically incubated and built this central limit order book, smart contract called Serum. So that, that is actually NASDAQ. That's the NASDAQ that I was talking about. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and they got amazing partners on board, like Jump Trading and Alameda to market make on it. And uh, those are the folks that are market makers or the folks that trade on, on these big exchanges. Um, so their job, if, you, if you're not familiar, is to look at the world, right? Process a bunch of information and then take... Uh, assets, right, and price them in a book. So for any given price, right, somebody maintains an offer, right, a bid and an ask. Um, so this is what market makers do. And it's um, a difficult job because they need to constantly analyze this ever-changing world of information, including other exchanges and where stuff is traded, but also news and whatever, and then create these books, right, that are um, offering, always offering a, 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 to buy or to sell any asset in the world. Um, and the way it works on NASDAQ is that there's about 500,000 messages, most of them cancels, like, hey, I don't want to cancel my tr cancel my offer for about 1,000 trades per second. So it's a very information-heavy system. Um, and nobody really, you know, a lot of folks told us that it's going to be not going to be possible to do it on, on the blockchain, but here we are. <laughs> here we are indeed um would you say because this is kind of where saffron comes into the picture a little bit um a lot of our viewers have noticed over the past few weeks we've been kind of peeling back the curtain a little bit and announcing that we've kind of been developing and working closely with the solana labs team to develop on the solana ecosystem and that's kind of been made possible thanks to the solana foundation program can you talk a little bit about that and like its success do you think that's attracted a lot of uh a lot of developers to your protocol or your project that would have otherwise not heard about it? So, so, so what was really successful for us is um, we had a, in our hackathon, we had this thing that like, hey, there's X amount of dollars in prizes, like a million dollars in prizes and 200,000 in seed funding available. Um, but what happened during the hackathon is that teams that were really good at building things were able to go from nothing to a product in about four weeks and raise funding well over a million dollars each by the time they even got to the place where we're judging them. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so, so, so what we saw was that this prize money and this hackathon and this date 
it's just like a focal point for everybody to get together and just like build, go build and, and pitch to investors and, and go raise things. And out of those, out of those events, there's a bunch of teams that are building things that are um, maybe not as fundable, but still interesting. And sometimes Solana foundation gives grants, right? If it's, if it's a project that feels like um, that grant money would be put to good use, whether they're building infrastructure or, trying to figure out a new way for users to interact on chain and, and like, but the grants are, I think the smaller side of it. Um, it, it's really driven by folks that are coming into crypto and see this network as a, as a tool that they can use to build a product, go get users and really focus on what they're doing and not really worry about the, the blockchain or, or like the cost of using it as a, as a hurdle that they need to overcome. Yeah, I think if anything, um, you know, this, whether you want to call it a bull run or whatever, we'll look back, I'm sure, in a year or two and figure out what the hell is going on right now. But, um, you know, at the beginning of this year, uh, since Saffron Finance uses smart contracts on the Ethereum network, the gas fees of having to stake and restake uh, after every epoch became extremely prohibitive to some of our users because, you know, if someone was trying to stake, um, you know, like a few of our tokens, they'd have to pay like upwards of $60 to stake it for two weeks and then unstake it for two weeks. And, you know, at, that is such a huge barrier to entry, I think, for the average person coming into DeFi and into crypto in general. So Solana definitely is really uh, speaking to a lot of people, I think. And it's kind of been a little serendipitous that Ethereum is kind of you know, gone through its struggles in terms of adapting to, well, the scalability trilemma. Um, and, you know, people are looking into other alternatives. Uh, what would you say, like, Solana's answer is to the scalability trilemma in general? Um, so the way that we cheat the trilemma is that... <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> is, is that, like... Um, uh, like and, and cubic, like, so first of all, like, what is consensus, right? That's the hard part. Uh, and it's got the scary cubic difficulty, right? It's and cubed is the, the number of messages in the worst case and consensus. And that sounds really scary, right? So if you break it down, what that really means is that you have n rounds. So n times something needs to happen. And there's n participants. And each one has to receive and send end messages. So for any single participant's point of view, the amount of bandwidth that they need, right? Because we're still talking about information here and information is measured in, in allocation of bandwidth. They need bandwidth just to handle end messages for n amount of time. And when you go by bandwidth at a data center, um, you buy it in 20 gigabits worth, right? You buy it at least in one gigabit is what they give you for free. <laughs> what, what they have available is 20 gigabits, right. right? So in that free tier of one gigabit worth of bandwidth, um, you can fit about 700,000 messages per second. Uh, you know, So if you have the hardware to handle 700,000 messages per second, um, you can potentially synchronize 700,000 different validators all doing this, you know, 700,000 rounds, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, you know, that 
which would be 700,000 seconds, right? So that, that would be the worst case for that size network. Um, so it's, so the trilemma really only applies to networks that try to exceed that bandwidth requirement. But the reality is that bandwidth is plentiful. It's uh, allocated at the capacity level, right? Not at the message level. So every data center has fiber optic cables. All this stuff is pre-allocated. Starlink is, is a, allocates bandwidth to each satellite dish that they, that they ship. So it's not a, exactly like an insurmountable problem. And because the cost of bandwidth drops by 50% roughly every two years, just like com- cost of computing drops by 50% every two years, um, that's an exponential function, right? And, and that one is, is, uh, moves really, really fast, right? It, it feels slow because it does take years. Um, but in the span of 20 years, it's a thousand X improvement. So let's shift gears a little bit and kind of go in maybe some of the other sectors of crypto. I mean, our, I know obviously, you know, Solana Labs is, is your baby and that's kind of what you're devoting all your attention to. Have you been keeping your eye on any other projects that have kind of, you know, maybe appeal to you in some sort of sense? I think so. I think some a really interesting phenomenon is NFTs. Um, and what I remember about like digital uh, items is I used to play Ultima Online, which was maybe one of the first graphic multi massive multiplayer yes. games. Uh, yeah, I did too. <laughs> so this is like 1997, right? I'm a nerd in high school. I'm playing this game and I want to get some digital items in this game. So I literally on, on a Saturday, I go to a bank and get a cashier's check and send it over mail to somebody to then give me a digital item in this game. So, <laughs> so for some reason I wanted this stuff, right? And and there's something about like when you get enough people together over a shared state, like a game, or like in Ethereum, right? Or in Solana, like a shared um, piece of state that people start want to trade and and like collect stuff and kind of culture springs out from nothing, right? Just from that shared existence. So what I think is really, really cool about crypto is that it creates these like um, true micro villages, you know, s- micro communities that are all glued together over cryptography and, and maybe tokens, maybe not. But that shared experience of us all being in the same place, right, and kind of playing the same game is, is really interesting. So I, I love that phenomenon. I love, I love to see like people start you know, first with like really kind of, you know, random, random art, like weird things. And then you start seeing people build <laughs> icons like CryptoPunks, right? Those are, those are effectively the icons of, of Ethereum. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they are. Um, and it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. I've been, uh, I- I'm really excited to see just how NFTs evolve over the next few years. Um, I think there's just limitless possibilities with a lot of this stuff. And it's just, it's such an exciting uh, industry to be a part of. Have you, I'm trying to think what else, because uh, you, honestly, you've, you've provided a lot of really succinct answers and really nailed down a lot of the stuff. So I do deeply appreciate that. If you had to put your finger on the pulse of where the industry is at right now, and we're recording this on August 5th of 2021, um, what are your kind of thoughts moving forward? I know there are some people uh, that are, you know, a little hesitant about government regulations. 
Um, I know DeFi is definitely in this still kind of gray area right now. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, overall, I think the industry is kind of like, you know, if, if you measure it by how many users have self-custody and, and use those keys, right? Like MetaMask or Phantom or, or any kind of like wallet that actually interacts and does stuff. Um, I think it's about a couple million monthly active users. So it's pretty small. Uh, probably somewhere around the internet in 1996, 97, where you had like 40 million people total on the internet, but then maybe <laughs> one to two million that would use it. Um, right. And at some point, that number is going to change to hundreds of millions of people on the internet and you know tens of millions that are actively using it on a daily basis. So that inflection point is coming in crypto, I would say in the next five years. Like uh, I'm certain of that. Um, and everything that we're doing now is important, right? We're trying to figure out what are the patterns that work? What are the, what, what products may be scalable to those numbers? And like, what is interesting about any of this stuff when it, in, with respect to 300 million people super connected over some <laughs> shared state, right? right. <laughs> but I, I feel like it's, we're, we can't really expect uh, we can only, you know, in, have some hypothesis because in 1996, if somebody told me that sharing pictures of your friends and family, right, like and cats uh, with like all your all your friends is going to be worth a trillion dollars, you wouldn't believe me, right? You think I'm crazy. So, <laughs> so that that I think is like the really interesting part about the space because of the possibilities are enormous, right? And I think transformative for the world um, and really unknown, right? Like it's it's really like new. Um, with, with regards to DeFi and regulation, um, if you look at the backgrounds of like Gary Gensler and um, the CFTC commissioner, they're like super nerds, right? They're, <laughs> so they, they know, get it, like... <laughs> That they know more about finance than I know about operating systems. I think, right? They're like <laughs> Ivy League, like amazing, like superstars. Um, you know, with incredible depth, understand the stuff inside out. Um, I hope and I think that uh, we should start seeing some form of safe harbors where the stuff that is awesome and can deliver value to people, right? And, and those products that can actually like scale finance to 300 million people without any intermediaries um, succeed. Like, I think we should start seeing that come out of these folks, even though like probably publicly and politically, they're like, we gotta be tough on all the bad bad guys and go after them, right? Cause it's their job to say that. Right. Um, right. So th this is what I hope, right? Is happening behind the scenes. I have no insider knowledge of that. <laughs> like I have no clue besides looking at their, at the backgrounds of these guys and, and like seeing how smart they are. Um, um, so I can't imagine them not seeing the benefit of, of all of this amazing tech. Yeah. It's just really interesting because with the uh, Saffron Academy podcast, I've had the privilege to interview a bunch of different people just from all different sort of walks of life and just kind of talking with them. You kind of get the sense that a lot of the really bright kids that are graduating from Ivy league schools. Yeah. There's still a good number of them going into wall street, but there's an increasing more number of them going and looking into cryptocurrency and kind of seeing that as the next sort of path forward. 
And I think that stuff is really fascinating. Just kind of seeing the, the, what do you want to even call it? The temperature shift a little bit. I, th- I think people are starting to realize that this is kind of the, not the next internet. This is what really the internet is supposed to be, right? It's a super connected state <laughs> that, and that can scale finance, right? That can actually like, if you, if you think about like these old financial systems, um, they're not really connected to the internet, right? They p- provide an API to, uh, to a bunch of human processes, um, which is really weird, you know, because because <laughs> everything else has been digi- digitized and finance is such a massive part of the world, right? right? Like 20, 30% of the world's GDP is just finance. Yeah, it's just like there's like a just a bunch of duct tape on this, you know, decades old system, just trying to keep it current. And, you know, I think we're finally starting to see people come around, especially policymakers and, and senators and stuff like that, starting to kind of understand that this is kind of the direction forward. Um, but I'm, I'm just really excited. I just am passionate about the industry and I love just getting a chance to talk with all uh, of these movers and shakers and just sort of being like a sponge to absorb as much knowledge as I can. Uh, what does the rest of the year look like for Solana? And even further than that, going into 2022? Man, planning a whole year ahead. That's, <laughs> <laughs> Let's take it a step at a time. <laughs> what about the rest of this year? <laughs> uh, we're, we're very much like fire-driven development. Um, so on, on the, I, I think what is kind of more stable is like the core network development. It feels like there's a bit more planning around it because um, it's a bit more mature and we kind of know, okay, next month there's going to be a new release and we need to have these features built and, and more stabilized and kind of run at least for a month on, on the test nut. Um, so there's a bit of sanity there, <laughs> uh, which is good, right? I, I think that's a good sign. Sanity's um, good, yeah. <laughs> and the, the goal for that thing is, is like, again, right, 10 years to build a database and operating system is to get the software into a form such that... Um, and validators, you know, when they add more CPUs or more uh, SSDs, like they add more hardware to their systems, that it elastically increases the capacity. So the hard part isn't the bandwidth, right? Like data centers have all the fiber in the world, and so does AWS, right? And soon to be homes. Um, that part is easy. It's that can you actually take advantage of it, right? Can you write the can you, can you get the software, the actual logic, to uh, process the information in such a way that we can use all of it up? And that that's a tough problem. Um, but it's not a computer science problem. It's just an engineering problem. So this is really what the core development is focused on. How do we make this thing ever more elastic, um, such that like when we see folks benchmark. The latest hardware we see people hit like 200,000 events per second, like TPS, um, which is pretty crazy. So in theory, that's that's like the limit of the network. Um, so what we should see is the result of that is that um, as capacity goes up, right, that pipe gets bigger. We start approach those numbers that NASDAQ handles, like half a million, um, and the fees should get cheaper and cheaper as well. And at some point the fees are going to be so cheap that, um, 
every financial thing, like even like a Google ad view, you can think of that as a financial event because every time you see that Google ad, somebody somewhere gets 0.2 cents, you know, 0.02 cents. Right. Like if the fees are so cheap that they're a hundred times less than that, then you can start building business models that don't depend on ads, right? They have their own like, 0.02 cent transactions in my in my little Reddit group. It's not an ad, right? Every time you upvote, you, <laughs> you send some tokens around and those network effects between those start accumulating as value returned to the community or to the content creators. And those, I think, are really interesting things, right? Th- those could really transform advertisement, right? Like, which is a huge industry, right? Like, the, obviously, finance, uh, and and things like that. So that that's really what I'm looking forward to is the developers that kind of get that light bulb go off in my in their head, like, oh, wow, I can, I I don't have to serve ads, right? There's a way for me to make money from 10 million users that are all observing that you know get to see this content, um, but no longer I I don't need to steal their data, right? I don't need to. St- to auction their data off to a bunch of advertisements. <laughs> so, what a paradise. So the, yeah, I know. Like, it, uh, What we need is then like finding those founders. Um, and this is something that those hackathons are, are basically what we're um, focusing on on the other side of it. It's like scour the, the, the earth for people that want to quit their cushy jobs at Google <laughs> and go eat glass for two years for, the, <laughs> a, for their own startup. <laughs> So do you have another one of those hackathons on the horizon at all? Uh, yeah, yeah. I think those are, um, there's not, nothing announced yet or anything like that. Okay. Just, uh, you know, folks should expect them to, to happen in some regular cadence. Um, so like uh, as the team kind of gets their ducks in a row and prepares everything, um, you should see some more information coming out. But, you know, it, those will probably never end until we're done, right? Well, so... If someone was interested in that, where would they kind of follow to keep the eye on that sort of stuff? Like, where would be the first announcement for a hackathon? Um, definitely Solana's Twitter account. That that's the place to do it. Um, and you know, follow me on Twitter if you want to. I, I tweet about consensus stuff all the time. So if that if that's your thing, I, I like to argue with uh, with other Ethereum devs. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. <laughs> That's great. Um, yeah. So I honestly, this has been really illuminating and uh, gotten to, know, I'm sure our audience has gotten to know a lot more about Solana and uh, you know, we'll be working with you guys more in the future. So Anatoly, thank you so much. I know you've had a super busy schedule. I really appreciate you taking the time out to talk with me tonight. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode. If you've enjoyed this podcast, be sure to go and rate us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Saffron Finance underscore. We also have communities on Discord and Telegram, and you can find the links to those in the show notes. We'll see you guys next time.